0: Love that little testimony from our brother. I don't know if you got to hear it. He said, do it, Lord, I'm ready. He's ready for the Lord to come. He's okay. What a great testimony, amen? That's a good testimony. That's peace in your heart. So I appreciate that testimony, brother. I know it wasn't meant for me, but it still blessed me. So there you go. There has to be something more. That sentiment has haunted The hearts of so many people for really as long as there ever has been people. There has to be something more to life than this. Something's wrong. Something's missing in my life. There's a void. And chances are there's somebody who is just now listening to me who is wrestling right now with those kind of feelings here of late. There's got to be something different. Something more Something better for my life. May I ask you to consider something today? What are the times in your life or what are the things in your life when you are feeling the most fulfilled, filled in your life? When you are feeling like life is working? What is it in your life that makes you feel that way? Is it not in some of your biggest relationships? Doesn't some of the best times in your life happen through your your biggest relationships that you have? I can't speak for you today, but I'll tell you that I thrive on good, big relationships. When one of them is damaged, then I struggle. Again, I can't speak for you, but in order for me to have a sense of fulfillment, contentment, and peacefulness, I must have a huge relationship with God. I need a big relationship with a big God. And and I don't want something that's quasi. I don't want to be sort of in and the rest out. In order for things to work in my life, what is absolutely necessary for me is for my relationship with God to be big. I need a... A relationship with God that overwhelms me in all the good ways, right? I don't want a relationship where God is out there somewhere like they teach on Star Wars. There's a force somewhere out there. No, I want a personal, gigantic relationship with God that consumes me. Frankly, if that relationship is a little bit out of sync, if my relationship with the God of the universe is out of sync, then all of my relationships tend to feel off. Is anybody here feeling me today? Without things going well with God, life isn't working very well. And that sense of haunting, that sense that maybe... There's got to be something better. There has to be something more. That will build up in my spirit. I need to have a gigantic relationship with a big God. I need that big relationship. I don't want God to be an idea. I don't want God to be something that someone else has. I want a personal relationship with God. And I want to feel like he has me and I have him. I want as much relationship with him as I can get. And that's when my... My life seems to work when when not just seems it does. And frankly, I don't think it's different for anyone else when we, we I believe that we're all empty if we're not in a current growing relationship with our God. If that isn't our biggest relationship, when we're all alone with our thoughts, I think we'll wrestle with the fact that something's wrong. Something in our life isn't clicking. But when my relationship is what it should be with Jesus, it's overwhelming in all of the ways that can possibly be good. My heart rejoices at the peace, the contentment, and the joy that I have in being close to the one who makes everything work for me. And I'm so very glad that one day Jesus pursued a relationship with me. I'm so glad for that day. I'm glad that there was a day when I became aware that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. I want to read to you out of Luke chapter 18, a wonderful, powerful story. And um, it begins with a conversation that Jesus is having where I'm going to read. We'll go to the 31st verse. That'll be the first verse that we read in this narrative. So Luke 18:31 starts this way. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And then on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was even talking about. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him, and when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they praised God also. We're starting a new sermon series today called Made New. I borrowed the title from it, but I will tell you that in Scripture there are numerous stories in the Bible about people who encountered the Lord and began a big relationship with Him. And when they did, for the person who embraced the offer that God makes... To enter into that larger relationship, the enormity of that relationship changed them. Transformation began to happen from the inside out. And everything in life took on a new perspective. There are so many stories in the scriptures of people encountering God, God pursuing them and pursuing a relationship with them, them receiving that and and embracing that relationship and them being transformed. This series then is going to illustrate for us how when a person through faith in Jesus embarks on that big relationship with God, they're made brand new. Our featured verse for the series is one that you are very familiar with, probably 2 Corinthians five seventeen. I love this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what Jesus does. He makes you new. He does something in you that makes you a different person. And there are some of you who wouldn't mind leaving here today a different person. I'm not putting you down. I know how that feels very well. And there, there are some of us, at least sitting here today, say, man, I would love when I leave church today to know that change is happening inside of me. And that happens through a big relationship with a big Savior, with a, a mighty God. Our scripture lesson here this morning opens up with a private conversation that's occurring between Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus is very plainly explaining to them what is about to happen. They had walked with him for three years. They had traveled with him. They had slept together in the same area. They had been together. They had witnessed Jesus do incredible, amazing things. And they're coming to an end of a three-year ministry period. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with full knowledge that everything that the prophets had had said was going to happen to him was about to happen. And he looked at his disciples as he's walking with them. And he's telling them, guys, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be uh, handed over to the Gentiles. And they are going to kill me but I'm going to raise, rise again. I'm coming back from the grave. And the Bible says that the the men were, were blinded to the understanding of this. They had no concept of what Jesus was even talking about. And to them, it was blah, 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 blah. It, it was such... A foreign idea to them that anybody would kill Jesus. It was so far out there. It was so against what they really believed Jesus was about to do. That it did not sink in. It was blocked from their understanding. The meaning of it. Even though Jesus said it about as plainly as one could say it. They did not receive it. They did not understand it. And so this is going on. So the disciples were not even able... To respond, they just followed him and pondered his words as they're headed towards Jerusalem. But their journey took them past the once mighty city of Jericho, a great city in its heyday. And I would suggest to you that what transpired next was not a chance encounter, but rather a divine appointment. Here's something that I've learned about the Lord. He doesn't consult with me before he does things. He doesn't tell me his plans all the time. I don't know about you, but he doesn't. He doesn't say, Ken, on October 15th, something pretty amazing is going to happen. I'm going to do this. He doesn't fill me in on those things. Because God doesn't have to explain anything to me. Amen? Amen? And Jesus, I believe with all of my heart, knew what was about to happen. I believe he would. He knew where this blind man was, and he knew he was going to go past Jericho. And what I'm trying to say to you is that I believe that there are times when God has something planned for us. We have zero idea what's about to happen. But if we just trust him a little bit, it might turn out okay. And some of us get so worked up and so upset if our plans get changed by God. I love the little joke that says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I like that. Because God has His plans. And I believe in this situation that the Lord knew exactly what was going to happen. This was a divine appointment. And that uh, certainly the blind man named Bartimaeus had no idea when he got up out of bed that morning to beg again. He had no idea that by the end of the day Jesus of Nazareth would walk by and something new was about to happen to him. He'd He'd leave that place seeing and praising God. And I just want to challenge you and pause long enough to just let that sink in. I think the Lord still does this kind of thing today. I think there are divine appointments made by the King of Kings that you and I don't know about, but that he knows everything about. And today could just be a day like that for you. Today, for you, Jesus of Nazareth may be passing by. Let's turn our attention now to this man. And we'll consider him as we work our way through this story, this historic event that actually happened. I want us to consider the blind man's condition in verse 35. Imagine the problems that he faced. I don't have to work too hard, do I, to convince you that being completely without sight is very difficult at at best. On your best day, if you are totally blind, it's horrible. And respectfully, I will tell you where... There are still real challenges for people who are totally blind today in our culture. It's It was much harder for the likes of Bartimaeus in that culture than that day. Very little help at all was available to him. In fact, very little sympathy was offered to a blind person in that culture in that day. You'll remember that Bartimaeus was in a culture that believed if you were blind, it was because somebody sinned and God was cursing you. Either you messed up or your parents messed up, but you are blind because you are steeped in sin. The religious leaders, the ones who went around declaring holiness, quote-unquote, the religious leaders of the day would condemn you to a category of people who were unreachable. You're cursed by God. You have no hope in life, and the best thing you can do is just try to get by till you die. That was the category of... Bartimaeus, the Pharisees of the day and the other religious leaders wanted nothing to do with him. And they got annoyed at him, I am sure, because Bartimaeus had no help. In fact, he was totally reliant on people just to get around. And he had to have some level of help or he wouldn't have made it to the age that he was, whatever it was, when Jesus came upon him, when when Jesus passed by. So every day, Bartimaeus probably had a relative or somebody who would lead him to a spot where he would sit. Close to the road, it would be a strategic spot where there was people traffic. And every day, what Bartimaeus would do is sit at his spot and hold up his hands or something, some kind of receptacle, and he would call alms, alms for the poor, alms for the blind. And he would rely on the kindness of people passing by to give him enough for him to survive. That was his existence. Day in and day out, that's what Bartimaeus had to do. Would you please help me? He'd wait until he'd hear somebody coming by. He would call out and say, alms, alms for the blind. And that's how he had enough income, if you will, to make it through the day. It was a difficult existence at best. He probably had to pay whoever it was that he relied upon to get him from place to place. It was hard. And it was in a culture in a day where there wasn't a whole lot of mercy shown to people, especially since the prevailing thought for a guy like Barnabas was, well, somebody sinned, either him or his parents. But he's like this because God has placed a curse on him. A difficult thing. And I think about the challenges of just being blind in and of itself and groping around. It was such a debilitating condition. And I think that if he had had no help whatsoever, he wouldn't have made it to that day. Many commentaries have been written comparing the physical blindness of this poor man with the spiritual blindness of any person who doesn't know God, who isn't in right standing with God groping around for answers to the big questions of life, feeling their way around, trying to fill a nagging longing in their souls. There has to be more. Being led from place to place, trying to find significance and meaning, all the while helpless to avoid destruction unless there is help. Jesus referred to the religious teachers of his day, These guys who looked at Bartimaeus and judged him and said it's because you're sin and you're cursed by God. Jesus looked at those very teachers and leaders and called them blind guides leading blind people in Matthew chapter 15 verse 14. And he was saying to them you are spiritually blind. And in speaking about people who are not right with God, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 tells us this. The God, little g, of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Let me tell you, I see that every day in our society. There are so many people blinded by the little g, God of this age and believing junk that is just not true. And they're living by these lies. They believe these lies with everything that they are. And the reality for them, unfortunately, is they are spiritually blind. And they're letting blind people lead them along. Because they have some convincing sounding arguments. When the word of God is pretty plain. And so we live in a society where there is a lot of blindness, spiritually speaking. (coughs) And I remember what it is to be spiritually blind. I remember not having a clue about Jesus and what he would do or what trouble I was even in. I had no idea, even though I was quite young at the time, I was blinded to what Jesus was all about. And I will tell you, if Jesus of Nazareth had not passed by in my life, I would still be stumbling around. Groping for an answer, trying to negotiate my way through this world, like so many of our neighbors and so many people. When people ask me, Pastor, you know why? Why are you? Why are you always talking to us about reaching? Why are you always trying to get us to talk to people who don't know Christ? That's the answer. They need to encounter Jesus Christ because they're blind and they are headed to destruction, Amen. and they need to know. Who this God is and have a big relationship with him. And so I will say to you that there was a time when, spiritually speaking, I was every bit as bad or just as bad off as this poor blind man in this this heartless society that he was in. I want us to consider the blind man's curiosity in verses 36 and 37. Pardon me a second. I guess it's a frog. I don't know. It might be some other creature in there. But sitting there in his usual spot, he is sitting at where he normally sits in the, and again, he, he purposely was in a place where there was a lot of people traffic. And he's just, as people are going by, he, he notices it sounds different to him. There's excitement in the voices and people are rushing past him they're they're running or they're walking very fast and nobody's paying attention he 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 began i i would conjecture he might have begun because crowds are going by arms arms and nobody's even paying attention then he realizes something's different about this people are there's an energy here people are excited and so finally he calls out he says hey hey what's happening what's going on And it is then when he is given the revelation, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And I believe at that very moment that it's possible that goose pimples jumped up on his skin. And that the hair began to stand up on the back of his neck. And that something in his heart said, get his attention. And I believe that the man rose up to his feet and began to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He began to make a racket and people who were leading uh, Jesus into town, the entourage that was coming in and people who were rushing toward him began to get annoyed because he just wouldn't stop saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me something in his heart told this blind man told Bartimaeus that he needed Jesus Christ something helped him to understand that Jesus had a power that no other person had and he began to 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 uh, voice his belief about Jesus that little phrase son of david reveals that he knew that Jesus was the messiah and he said, Jesus, son of David, an Old Testament reference to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, have mercy on me. And so what happens to him is that he his curiosity got piqued until he asked what's going on. And his curiosity led him to begin to cry out to the Lord. I'm going to tell you that in many cases, curiosity is a good thing. And I know you've all heard how curiosity kills the cat. And I believe that can happen. And it's not always a good thing. But often it is. Often it's a God thing. Some of you parents with young children asking you a thousand questions are probably saying, No, it's not a good thing. But it is how we discover. It is our curiosity that leads to a discovery. I want to tell you about how curiosity led and to a discovery for me and worked in a miraculous way in my life and you you probably have heard me talk several times about this lady that's a picture i scanned on my scanners it doesn't look that good it's a better i have a lot better picture but that lady was a pastor in my community of a little pilgrim holiness church And we were an unchurched family. Uh, We we didn't go to church anywhere. We never darkened the doors of church. And this little lady decided, I'm going to start inviting people out that I don't know. And it was that little lady who rode up into our driveway. And I've told you the story of how we had 20-some dogs at least. My, My poor mother... She, uh, she never saw an animal that she would turn away and so we would end up with all these stray animals and so we had 20 some dogs and it was, as I've told you before, it was kind of funny when people came into our yard, especially salesmen. We had a little horseshoe shaped dirt lane and they'd pull up and then all these dogs would burst out of the porch and come running up all sizes, little and big and they'd come barking and usually the car would just drive away. This little lady opened that door, walked right through, waited through all the dogs and came to our our house and knocked on the door. And, and uh, of course, when the dogs carried on, that made us children kind of curious who was coming to our house. And so we dropped what we were doing. And I still remember dad and mom standing at the door. Dad, dad in the lead, if you want Mom here. And opening the door and this lady is standing there. And that brilliant, beautiful smile. And she introduced herself. I'm Reverend Lida Brazier. And I passed through the church and she just told us where it was, a little Pilgrim Holiness Church. And she said, I was, I've driven past your home several times and I'm here to invite you to come to our church. And I'd like to know if your children would like to go to vacation Bible school, not vacation, uh, to, to Sunday school. And so... Um, I will tell you that if you came to our house and our parents were at the door, what would happen is all the kids would kind of line up behind them because we're curious. Who is this person? I didn't know anything about this lady, and I know this is going to sound a little bit odd, but this lady had had something about her that just attracted me and made me think there's there's something different about this woman. There's, she just she just loved the Lord, and it emanated from her. And when she began to talk about Sunday school, I had never heard those terms. I I didn't even know what a Sunday school was about. I didn't like the word school, but I liked her. And I remember we're standing there, she's talking, and then as she talked a little bit to my father, my father nodded his head. He looked at mom, they nodded their head, and she walked past them and to us, us children, and got down sort of like this and looked in our eyes and said, how would you like to come to my Sunday school? And I remember looking up at dad saying, dad, can we go? And dad said, yes, son, I'll take you next Sunday. We'll go. And that was the beginning of what curiosity did for me. And it wasn't long before we were going to that church and the deuces would line up as little wooden benches in that little, little pews. And we lined up in one And we dad made us sit on the second one from the front. I still remember. And we all sat there and I don't know how my dad was able to reach all the way to the end of the pew and smack you on the head if you acted up but like what the fantastic floor guy could just reach over there, bam, you know. So but I loved going to that church and I've told you the story of how because it was so different and I'm, me being so, so ADD that the excitement of that church, because they, they, they put their praise on man, that there was no inhibitions. They were shouters. They would shout. They would have a good, and I never heard some of those terms. Praise the Lord. I didn't know what that meant. Amen. Never had heard amen. And, and hallelujah. I, I had no idea. I just thought people were excited and angry and I thought that was so cool. And so, it was curiosity, and I've told you how an evangelist came a few weeks after we started going to that church. Big old boy from Kentucky, and he, he was preaching the Word of God, and he was that, the kind that in the old school would beat on the pulpit, turn all bright red, and put his finger out there. I was sure he could touch my nose, you know. And I just loved it because I thought he was angry, and I thought everybody else was angry, and I was, oh, it was so much fun for me as a kid. But it was curiosity. Because when he had the the first altar call that I ever remembered, and they began to play just as I am, I, I watched as my dad took a hold of my mother's hand and went, made their way up to the altar, and all these people came around them. That big old evangelist put his hand, big old mitt on top of my dad's head, and he was moving around like a gear shift on a truck, man. He was praying, <laughs> he was hollering, and they, there were people beating on my dad's back, and I, I remember all of that and, and crying. I I remember tears and every I, I watched this my brother finally who was a little bit older than me made his way up there to pray. And honestly I only went up because I wanted to see the action, I wanted to see what was going on. So I went out to the end of that altar and I was just looking down there. And there were people like around my dad and I had, my dad's um I I just had never seen him cry. And my dad is weeping. And my mother's weeping. And I thought for a while that big old evangelist doing all that to his head was hurting him. And, you know, I, I was getting a little concerned. But it was curiosity that caused me to go up there. And I've explained to you what I can't really explain to you. That eventually, because I was listening to what my brother was praying about, when he said, Lord, I need you to forgive me. I'm sorry. Somehow God began to deal with my heart. And I still can't explain it, but I prayed the very first prayer that I ever remember praying. It wasn't too profound. Dear God, I don't know what to do, but if you tell me what to do, I'll do it. Amen. And somehow then, the Spirit of God came upon me. And what I didn't know was at that moment, Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he made such a profound impact on me. That's the day I met him. That's the day I discovered this big relationship. And it was all because there was curiosity. So if you happen to be here and your curiosity gets peaked, that's not a bad thing. I encourage you, be as curious about Christ as you can. Find out everything you can about him. Pursue your curiosity and you just watch what happens. I want to talk to you briefly about, as soon as I can turn my notes over and stop shaking, about the blind man's cry. Because there he is, and he asked that question, what's happening? And he's told that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he is up there shouting, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he wouldn't stop. The crowd rebuked him. They said, hey, man, you know, you're making a racket over here, and you're disturbing and again, remember, most of the people of that day believed that this was a man cursed by God and eternally lost and was wasting Jesus' time. He, he wasn't going to have any of it. He had a shot. Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. He had a moment. So he cried out. And he cried out with emotion. I, other accounts of the scripture says that he began to cry. And he with, with all the emotion he had in him, and I believe with all the strength that he had in his voice, he was screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he began to cry. And when they told him to be quiet, I think he got Louder. And I don't think it was disrespect. It was his one opportunity. I, if I have to shout over a crowd, I need Jesus to know where I am and who I am. And it was loud enough to where Jesus' heart was turned to that man's cry. He cried out and he didn't stop. And folks, the, the point I'll make about this, of course, is is obvious. Listen, let's never let anything or anyone dissuade us from crying out to the Lord. Church, we've got to pray until the answer comes. Amen? Don't you let anything or anyone quiet your prayers. Let not, in, not let, let no entreaty convince you to give up seeking the Lord or to, uh, to seek His mercy. Let no one's opinion you, impede you from crying out to Jesus. Just keep crying out until the answer comes. It's all right. And by the way, here's the thing about Jesus. He is drawn to someone who will pour themselves out and cry out to him. He's drawn to them every single time. Sometimes I get a little bit scared about us because we have a little bit too much dignity once in a while. And when we have an opportunity, because Jesus of Nazareth is, is, is passing by, I'm not saying you have to yell at God to get Him to pay attention to you. I don't believe that. But I do believe that sometimes we have to cry out from the depths of our soul and not give up so easily. Do you hear me, my friends? Oh, we need to learn the art of praying until the answer comes. In church, there are lost souls at stake. And if some of our hearts would get broken for them and we would begin to cry out for them, who knows what God would do? We need to learn the art of crying out to the Lord and not being dissuaded because it doesn't fit in everybody else's notion of what's proper decor. Cry out to God. Pray to Him until the answer comes. The blind man's cure is what I want to focus on next. This man's cry is heard. And I promise you on the authority of God's holy word that Jesus hears the heartfelt cry of someone uh, seeking him like this every single time. He is attuned to us. So Jesus stopped dead in his tracks to minister to this man. It is from this point in the sermon where we now witness how Bartimaeus was made new. Because Jesus had the man brought to him. And from that moment on, it was done. Here's yet another example of Jesus allowing ordinary people to participate in something supernatural and powerful. I love this. He has them bring the man to him. And all they had to do was bring the man to Jesus. And he handled the miracle part. He handled the saving part. Please don't miss that, church. If we just bring lost and broken people to the Lord We get to play a small role, but it's significant, and we get to be part of miracles. Reverend Brazier brought me to Jesus, and it has had a profound effect on my life. Clearly, the Bible reveals that people without Christ are spiritually blind and need to be led to Jesus. But Jesus will make them see, and he will change their lives if they respond to him. So the man is brought to Jesus. Jesus has, the, he initiates it in the sense he hears the cry and he, he has him brought to him and then he asks him this wonderful question. What, do you, what would you want me to do for you? Have you ever considered that question? If not, would you please do so right now? What would you have Jesus do for you? Folks, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. What would you like for him to do for you this morning? The man deeply desired to see. Maybe that seems like a dull moment to you. Of course, he wanted to see. He was blind. He wanted to know what that was like. But he still was asked the question by Jesus. Jesus knew what he wanted, but he needed the man to acknowledge his need and say, This is what I need. This is what I'm asking you from. And Jesus saw that the man had faith in him, that he could Give him sight. And so he just said without hesitation, Lord, I want to see. Would you imagine that moment with me for just a moment? As this man is standing here in total blackness for all of his life, he never had seen anything. Total blackness. And suddenly Jesus speaks just a word. He just says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. And receive your sight. And with those words, suddenly colors come flooding into this man. First time he ever saw them. These colors that he had heard about. Light was hitting his eyes. And he perceived light. And right in front of him was the smiling face of the Savior who had just given him sight. Can you imagine that moment? Frankly, I can. Because spiritually speaking again... I couldn't see, I couldn't understand, I was blind. But there was a moment when I responded to Christ and all kinds of new things happened. Things I didn't even know were there was was there. And it's all in this big relationship that I have with Christ. I couldn't imagine not seeing them spiritually now. But it opened up a whole new existence for me when I realized that Jesus could make me see. And I want to challenge you today that he wants to do that for you. Jesus of Nazareth is is passing by. What an amazing thing. Finally, I want to talk to you about this blind man's conversion in verse 43. The man immediately followed Jesus and he began to give praise to God. You see, something happened to this man other than his eyes being healed. His blinded spirit was healed as well. So he received both physical and spiritual sight that day. What a miracle. And in the King James, the translation of verse 42 is, Thy faith has saved thee. He was saved. He was born again. So there is both healing and salvation in that statement. I remind you that the Lord's primary concern with people is not our physical well-being, but our spirit, our soul's. And he wants to save lost souls. And that's the purpose of many of the miracles that he performed publicly. So that people would have their faith built in him and believe that he is the son of God. Folks, he is the savior. Would you watch this video and I'll wrap up this sermon.
1: So Jesus said to those who had come to believe in him. If you remain in my word. You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But they answered, We are the descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. So how can you say we will become free? You see, they answered Jesus in the same way we might. I mean, we're Americans, right? We live in the land of the free. We sing songs about it. We get together and have parties and fireworks All to celebrate our nation's freedom But Jesus was speaking of a different kind of freedom A freedom that can only be found in Him He answered them This is the truth Everyone who chooses a life of sin isn't free They are a slave to sin A slave has no permanent place in the family But a son or a daughter They belong forever So if the Son sets you free You will be free indeed
0: And for Bartimaeus, that's what happened. He was set free. His blindness was taken away, but so was his sin. And he was set free indeed. And I come back to that question. Have you ever wondered if there can't be something more to this life? The more that you are haunted about is that big relationship that God would have with you. He loves you. And his purpose in coming to the world was to set people free. Not the kind of freedom we enjoy as Americans, as wonderful as that is. But the freedom that comes with knowing Christ. We can be free. We don't have to be slaves anymore to our own urges, our own sin, and Satan's devices to enslave us. All of it can be uh, taken away. Because Jesus sets people free. Is there something that you need from the Lord? Can you, can you hear him? What, would it, what is it that you would like me to do for you? Are you a little bit like Bartimaeus? Something's happening. There's a commotion. You can't quite discern what it is. But do you desire... To lift a heartfelt cry to Jesus because you have heard Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Is there somebody here who would love to receive what Jesus has to give? His mercy, His forgiveness, His healing. Is there someone here who is ready to be freed from spiritual blindness? Is there any timid Christian just so afraid to try to lead anybody to Jesus, but know that that's not a difficult thing if he would help you. And you want God to help you to lead lost people, spiritually blinded people to him. Have you sensed it? Do you hear it? Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He's present with us today.